download is complete. Welcome to the AV Podcast, presented by Ian Collin and Seth Gecko. Hi, this is Ian Collin from 360 Gamer Magazine, and welcome to this week's gaming podcast. Coming up, we've got the latest in gaming news. We'll also be reviewing World Snooker Championship 2007 on the Xbox 360, and on the Wii, we'll also be taking a look at WarioWare Smooth Moves. And in our weekly discussion point, we'll be talking about first-person shooter games, both old and new. The AV Podcast Gaming News with Ian Collin and Seth Gecko. Starting off with the news then, um, uh, with the recent Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, there's obviously been plenty of hardware news and announcements being made over the past week or so. Not a huge amount um, of gaming related news, but there have been quite a few pieces that have filtered through, largely involving Microsoft. Firstly, the first major announcement from Microsoft is that it's confirmed that it will be launching its IPTV service for their Xbox 360 by the end of this year. IPTV, or Internet Protocol Television, to give it its full name, it's a, an on-demand digital TV service that will allow you to be able to watch and record programs through your Xbox 360, as well as obviously maintaining the whole gaming thing that goes on with the console as well. The aim is for it as well to be able to be integrated into Xbox Live, so you can be chatting with your friends online at the same time. You know, So in theory, you could be watching a game of football with a mate, t- chatting online, and then as soon as that match is finished, you could pick up your pads, go off and start playing Pro as well with you know, being able to turn off any of the hardware and just go straight on. From the beginning, Bill Gates said that 360 was primarily a gaming device, but this is like uh, another step that's just saying, I mean, I think they've been way past that anyway for quite a few few years now, once they realised the potential that the Xbox could have. Um, and this is just another step in Bill Gates's quest for world domination by the, the looks of things. It's already got good backing. It's got um, major companies have signed up to trial the service. We've got BT doing it in the UK. So things are hopefully looking good for a 2007 release on that service, so quite looking forward to that. And in a second announcement, maybe not quite as relevant for for keen gamers, but I don't know, one or two of you might have heard of the digital media player that Microsoft brought out called Zune. It's not really competed with anything on on a large scale in the market, not at all anything to do with the iPod. It's, you know, barely made a dent on that in terms of sales. But now Microsoft are looking to add gaming uh, to that service, so maybe Microsoft taking a little look at their handheld gaming market. Again, not going to be making too many great shakes on the market. I can't see up against uh, you know Nintendo's DS and the PSP and the like. But it's just another interesting move from Microsoft, exploring a few new areas and you know few, very few details have been giving on it. What sort of titles we can expect? But um, yeah, should be some interesting moves from Microsoft in terms of technology uh, over the next year or so, which is some things that we can certainly be looking forward to. One thing that um, we might not be able to be looking forward to is that uh, one piece of information that has been dismissed by Microsoft rather than confirmed is uh, plans for an all-new upgraded Xbox 360. Talk of an Xbox 2, uh, Xbox 362 have been touted around for a while, pretty much based on people's hopes or assumptions that it will be an enlarged hard drive up to 120 gig uh, that can expand on the current hardware uh, that the console offers. And there have been pictures floating around on the internet from sources apparently showing um, examples of what this new hardware could look like. For example, one of the features you can see is a new HDMI port on the back of the console, presumably one's hoping that it be able to support 1080p video output. 
but Microsoft, quite rare for them to come out and dismiss a rumor, but they've come out in this case and said, yes, we're aware of it, this stuff is going on, but it's just, it's an experimentation. Uh, it's just work in progress. It's nothing actually hardcore concrete that we're going to be bringing out. Yeah, these are fair enough pictures, but um, nothing specific, no announcements to be made. As far as you're aware, there is going to be no Xbox 362 for a little while as yet. But again, Microsoft, a little bit of hardware details coming through. This one's been dismissed, but um, I don't think it's going to be completely dismissed for forever. I'm expecting maybe to hear one or two of these experimentations that um, prove to be a success sometime in the near future. Well, it's good news this week for fans of the EverQuest game. Sony Online Entertainment have announced that the 13th expansion pack, which will be called The Buried Sea, is coming out on February the 13th um, via digital downloading uh, for a suggested retail price of $30. Now, if you're a big fan of EverQuest, you'll be glad to see that it's going to include such features as ship-to-ship -ship combat, some new missions, guild banners, fellowships, which sounds very Tolkien to me, and energy and items. But uh, if you want more missions and a bit more longevity in the game, February the 13th for the 13th expansion is a date to note in your diary. Lucky 13th, eh? It's <laughs> almost sounded Canadian there. Eh? Lucky 13th, <laughs> eh? <laughs> no, it sounds good. And an equal good news, if you're a fan of that kind of um, RPG genre, is that uh, an expansion pack, or another expansion pack for Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion has also been announced. Um, this follows on from a, a pack called Knights of the Nine, which was released at the end of last year on the PC and Xbox 360. But this new expansion pack, entitled Shivering Isles, has been quoted um, as being the first proper expansion pack. I didn't see why Knights of the Nine wasn't exactly a, a trivial piece of kit. But this definitely adds a whole lot more to the, the experience, apparently adding up to an extra 30 hours of gameplay, so what was already you know, a superbly popular title from last year. What Shivering Isles should introduce, is, as well as a holy amount of uh, new quests, new monsters and other strange enemies and uh, surreal adventures, and there's also a new location, um, based on a new isle called the Realm of Madness, and some of the, the towns within that isle, pretty self-explanatory we hope, it's places called Bliss, places called Mania, places called Dementia, so I'm kind of thinking this is going to be quite kind of psychological adventure going on. At the moment it's only been announced for the PC, but it wouldn't be any big surprise when it's announced for the Xbox 360 as well within the, the next couple of weeks, we hope. And that's due out sometime in the spring, but we'll have to wait for those specifics as soon as they come in. And when they do, we'll be sure to let you know. I was going to say, do you mean by it's the first real expansion pack, as in it's the first one we're really going to charge you money for? Yeah. I think this is... Yeah, I think Knights of the Nine, it was... Well, I don't want to say it was a token expansion pack. It was one that was expected. I think Shivering Isles is one that they've really... You know, put a lot into. So this is the first real kind of, you know, this is more of the same, but this is something that they've really put a lot of hard work into, so that hopefully gamers will be able to get a lot more out of. Well, PC fans who are waiting for Armed Assault to arrive will be glad to know that as of Friday the 5th of January, Bohemia Interactive Software launched the website www.armedassaultsquad.co.uk in preparation for the game. Now, if you sign up as a new recruit for the website, it'll give you the chance to win exclusive Armed Assault prizes, such as the chance to demo the game for anyone else, some signed merchandise, and lots more. Now, the competition will be running over four months, and registered squad members will have the chance to complete fortnightly tasks to win some of these prizes. But it's not just prizes that you can get hold of on here either. Once you're a fully registered member, you'll also have access to screenshots, trailers, and 
all the armed assault news before anybody else. So that website again, if you're interested, www.armedassaultsquad.co.uk. Consider it bookmarked. I was going to say the uh, the actual game itself seems to be quite popular uh, on the forums. In you know, there's a bit of discussion about it. I think it's going to be quite a big title, and like I say, it comes out in February. Oh, it's you know, January, February, generally a pretty quiet season to, for games anyway. So uh, it's always worth keeping an eye out on, on one of the decent titles as they appear. Yeah, there are a few good games coming through this particular month, but um, yeah, it could be one that um, hopefully can make quite a move and have quite an impression on quite a lot of people. Okay, I've got just one small piece of news that I just want to quickly fit in, but this is pretty much based on my own personal excitement. I think when we did a bit of a review of 2006, I touted one of my favourite games as being Dead Rising. And just news has fell through, still not 100% confirmed news of Dead Rising sequels. Capcom have pretty much admitted that this is now a franchise in progress. And um, so hopefully we can look forward to several more of these awesome zombie slashing games. No specific details or release dates or, or anything have been touted, but all that's been said is the spokesman has said that we can look forward to more Dead Rising games for years to come which I just want to put across as being very happy news indeed. Conclusive proof you can't keep a bad corpse down. <laughs> this game will never die. It's alive forever. I want to keep killing zombies till I'm an old man and possibly borderline zombie myself. <laughs> I really can't add anything to that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to, but I can't. In uh, final news, some interesting stats were released um, in, from Japan. Now, as many people know, the PlayStation 3 was released three weeks previously to the Wii actually appearing in Japan. And traditionally, Japan is a huge Sony country for buying the consoles and the games, as obviously Xbox um, people will definitely know, because nobody in Japan really buys 360. Well, the stats are in, and apparently, even though the PS3 had a three-week head start, it only sold half the number of consoles compared to the Wii. So, that is a definite result for Nintendo. Very much so. I'm sure that Sony, despite all their bravado, have got to be fairly disappointed, I think, with their sales in general. I, I think so, too, and there is a constant rumour going around that because of the... Uh, poor performance that they've suffered not only in Japan and also in the United States over Christmas, the United States being the third worst console in terms of uh, numbers, you know, being absolutely hammered by the Wii and the 360, that they're contemplating removing the Blu-ray drive and just fitting it with a normal DVD-ROM drive and marketing it as a much cheaper model. So they'll be going to hack a few pounds off the price tags to try and get a few more people to buy it? But the basic idea really is that it's going to look as huge egg on the face for Sony because they've been going, oh, this is the console, this has got everything, we've got Blu-ray technology, you only need this one for the home, you know, for all your cinema and blah, 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 blah. And then they're going, well, actually, we were wrong, we bought out a cheaper one because we didn't get it right. And I think that that's going to look really bad. But this is still early rumour stage. It's very early rumour stage, but I wouldn't be shocked if that's what we're going to see. But it's obviously something that Sony will strenuously deny until a week after it's happened. Or even longer. <laughs> but um, okay, just adding to that, I mean, we're horrible, aren't we? It's, we? We do sound like a Sony bashing podcast going on on a regular basis. But they really don't do themselves many favours either. Talking about um, getting egg on their face, they've, they've done it again as well. Last week, when they boldly came forward, um, issued a release... Oh, this is Sony Computer Entertainment in America, released uh, uh, a press release 
delightfully, joyfully announcing that they'd uh, won a Technology and Engineering Emmy Award from the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences for its six-axis PS3 motion-sensitive controller. So obviously they're all, you know, backslaps all round, you know, on press release congratulatory quotes from themselves, crediting the overwhelming consumer demand and critical acclaim for the PS3 and how great everything was in the world. That was until one intrepid blogger called Seamus Byrne contacted the Academy and suggested that, you know, maybe just perhaps Nintendo hadn't done too bad a job with their motion-sensitive controller either with the Wiimote. You know, all leading a mini-revolution into the whole motion-sensitive gaming and all of that, the way that Nintendo crazily did it, and um, done a much, much better job than what um, Sony have casually doing with the six-axis. So, all of a sudden, backslamming had turned to embarrassment and a bit of a PR nightmare as it uh, emerged that there had been something of a mix-up going on and the award was actually for Sony's DualShock technology from the PS2 controller, which is considerably older and maybe not quite as revolutionary now as it was back then. I mean, this wasn't entirely Sony's fault. Um, it does seem like there was some kind of genuine confusion going on between all those involved, but it just doesn't stop it from being very another public embarrassment for Sony and well from what you've been saying as well doesn't seem like it's been a particularly good month for them so I don't know what they're going to come up with next but um we've got to start cutting in some slags sooner or later so we're just going to hope that they start delivering the goods sooner or later otherwise these stories are going to run and run basically we love you Sony but stop putting your foot in your mouth yes please <laughs> well, actually no don't keep putting your foot in your mouth so we've got lots more news stories to keep delivering on a weekly basis Sony and my sunshine on quiet news days yeah, it's getting to the point where Sony are our... And finally, news item. <laughs> they are. <laughs> the, the comedy queue at the end. It's just like the keystone cops of the consumer console world. So every time we mention Sony, we get Phil to put in a... Wah, wah, wah at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Along with some kind of legal disclaimer, I'm hoping as well. That's it. <laughs> and absolutely finally on the uh, podcast, we have the top 10 games for the week ending 6th of January 2007. And like last time, it's not really a huge shocker. FIFA 07 is still number one. Need for Speed Carbon is number two, up from number three. Sims 2 Pets is up to number three from four. Four is Pro Evo 6, which will upset you, obviously, Ian. Only a little bit. Only a little bit. Call of Duty staying rock hard at number five. Lego Star Wars 2 is number six up from ten a great title here new super mario brothers for nintendo is number seven gears of war slipping one to eight wwe smackdown is number nine and grand theft auto vice city stories for the psp at ten so another ea top three Um, another ea top three indeed they've got to be very poor haven't they (laughs) i'm not saying anything but if, if people are rushing out and buying fifa over other games that are out there there's a lot of games they're missing. And that's it for the gaming news for this week. For up-to-the-minute AV discussion and hardware reviews, visit avforums.com. This week's Games Review. Moving on to reviews then, what I've been playing this week is World Snooker Championship 2007 on the Xbox 360. Now, Seth, I don't know how much of a snooker fan you are. Well, somewhere whether... between non-existent and not. That's a no, then, really. Okay. I mean... But snooker probably isn't exactly the most exciting of sports anyway, in terms to get non-sporting fans to uh, swing over and give the game a shot. Well, snooker is one of the, surprisingly enough, one of the most popular TV sports um, around, so I'm sure you might have caught a few minutes of it on TV in your time, but maybe used it as a, a cure for insomnia, I don't know. 
to be honest, World Snooker Championship, it is one of those games that falls into that whole if you like this, then you'll love this kind of category. You know, if you don't like snooker, it's one that you might not want to take a look at. Um, well, I'm probably sure you won't want to take a look at it anyway. <laughs> but it's the same way that, if you know, if you like golf, you want to play Tiger Woods. If you're sort of into your, your boxing, you want to play Fight Night, you'll love all those kind of games. And in the same way, if you like snooker, you're going to love World Snooker Championship 2007 because it is another very solid simulation game. For some reason, there wasn't one in 2006. There was 2005, now 2007. Obviously, missed out on a little franchise opportunity in the middle there. What's happened is games now had a bit of time to develop a little bit more for the next generation uh, consoles. And, you know, it does look nice. They've kind of polished it up in the same way that EA sort of over-polished FIFA a little bit too much, making it shiny to the point of blindness. I mean, it does have quite a, a glaring sheen to it at times. You know, It's hard to do this review without... without having some cool balls innuendo going into it, but I'm just going to have to... <laughs> but yeah, I'm just going to have to say, yes, the balls are very, very shiny in it. But um, but it is, I mean, visually, it's good looking. I don't know how good looking you can, you think you can make snooker look. You know, table's green. Like I say, the balls are very shiny. Characterization's pretty good as well. I don't know how many snooker players you could possibly name, Seth. Sorry. <laughs> um, um, that many. Yeah. Well, the chances are that if you can name them, then they are going to be in this game because it features top 32 players in the world are in there. So if you can remember people such as Ronnie O'Sullivan, Stephen Hendry, John Higgins, people like that, they're going to be in there. Um, pretty good lineups as well, it has to be said. You know, not exactly spot on, not exactly as we've seen in one or two other games, but very, very fair attempts. There's 104 players in total. Um, you'd have to be something of a serious snooker fan to be able to evaluate just how good the likenesses are a little bit further down the table. Uh, I'm not even sure 100% of them have actually tried to recreate all 104 of those players, um, but all the top players will be in there for sure. But obviously with Snooker the most important thing, it comes down to gameplay. And this is one area where World Snooker Championship 2007 pretty much excels, um, and which maybe as well, which might make it appeal to a few non-Snooker fans. Um, Seth, you already sound like you're well up against it from the off, but there might be uh, you know, one or two people who just, you know, maybe curious about the game of snooker, but thinking, you know, I don't know all that much about the game. I'll, why did one want to go out and um, buy a game about something I'm you know, not too clued up on? But they've made the game very, very playable. So you can just pick up and you can play it. And it's very, very helpful for you in the way that when you've got the game, you can line up your shot. Then there's arrows coming off the, the contact ball, showing you the direction that that ball's going to move in. There's an arrow, another arrow coming off it, showing you the direction that the white ball's going to head into. And these arrows get progressively longer depending on how much power you want to put onto the shot. You know, it never points directly into the pocket so you can guarantee a shot. But it's all, you know, very, very good where it's an arrow, very, very good pointers as to where the shot's going to go. It is a bit weird at times, I find. It's a two-dimensional screen. You've got these arrows pointing off, and I do find myself tilting my head sideways and kind of looking at it, closing one eye, trying to create an imaginary line leading from the arrows to the pocket to see if it goes in. But um, but it, it really does work. It's quite accurate. You can still miss easy shots, but I'd like to put that down to my own personal incompetence, I think. But one extra little addition as well to make it even easier is that as well as just showing you the direction that the the white ball is going to go off into, we've also added a little green blob onto the screen as well on the table that shows you approximately where the white is going to end up. So as well as adding the power now, you've got a little bit more of an idea of where the white can end up. So in terms of getting positioning for the next ball, um, it all becomes you know much much easier. I mean you know the this area doesn't take into account what happens if the white hits something else on the way. It's not a surefire bet that that's where the white's going to end up, but it 
you know, it certainly gives you a, a much, much more help and support when it comes to putting together big breaks, which is pretty much where you want to be in a snooker game. You don't want to be faffing around for half an hour, getting breaks of like 5, 10, 12, whatever. With this, you know, give it a day, you can be racking up 50 breaks reasonably comfortably, I'd have thought. Still plenty of fun to be had. There's loads of other game modes as well. You can play pool. You can now enter pool championships. You've got other game modes as well, new game modes called Hybrid and Golden Q, where you can enter tournaments or matches that combine frames of pool and frames of snooker, so you can play like Ronnie O'Sullivan at both and see who's the best in, you know, overall. Um, you've got trick shot challenges you can play, you can play billiards and bar billiards, although I personally hate both of them um, and wouldn't recommend them too much. Basically, might possibly borderline down to the fact that I never really understood the games at all, but they're there if you want to give them a go. I mean, I'm a snooker fan, so I like the game anyway, but I think there's still a lot of enjoyment in there for a lot of other people as well who just maybe want to give it a go, give it a try, get a, a trial version, you know, just take a, a bit of a look at it. I mean, I'll give it 7 out of 10, just as the the core game that it is. If you're a snooker fan, bump it up to an 8, because I think it's it's good enough to make uh, you know snooker fans feel as if they're playing, getting a decent simulation of the sport, but at the same time having a whole lot of fun with it. Just comes up with this hugely entertaining experience that uh, if you are interested in it, you'll be pleased to know that it's out now on the Xbox 360 and the PS2. PS3 version uh, will be available when the PS3 does finally come out. Um, and there's also a, an equivalent called World Snooker Challenge 2007 that's available on the PSP. So if you're interested, go buy it now. Well, I would say this week I've been playing WarioWare's, um, but the truth is, is it only came out on Friday, so I haven't had a huge amount of time to get to grips with it. But for those people who know what WarioWare's is, um, no introduction is necessary for those who don't. It's effectively lots of miniature little challenges that you usually have around three to five seconds to actually complete, and it just throws them at you at a very fast rate. Now, each level will consist of 10, 15, 20 challenges, which are, as I said, just hurled at you, and it makes for a very quick, very rapid gameplay. However, it's not necessarily the easiest. Now, the first WarioWare game I personally played was on the Nintendo DS, um, and that had a touchscreen, and you used to use the touchscreen and sensor and microphone to, to, to complete various tasks. On the Wii, however, you have to use both the remote and, on certain challenges, the nunchuck. Now, the nunchuck is used in several ways, and it teaches you these as you go through the levels. And the first way is the traditional remote control grasp, where you hold it like a traditional remote control. The second one that you will um, come into grips with is the umbrella, where you tend to hold it vertically, sort of up to, as you would an umbrella, unbelievably. Um, you also have the handlebar um, type of uh, grasp on the controller, um, the mortar and pestle, and the elephant. And the elephant is probably the more humiliating one, where you effectively make the remote the equivalent of a trunk in front of your nose. <laughs> exactly. Sounds like fun. Is it really that humiliation? This is one of those games that you are kind of glad that it's not on a portable system because you really wouldn't want to do this on a train because you are going to make a complete prat of yourself. Um, having said that, it is good fun. For example, depending on what your, what your challenge is, you'll have in the remote held as the remote control mode, where you'll be using it to effectively shave off a moustache off of somebody, so you have to aim it and manoeuvre the razor on screen to, to do the shaving. On another one, you'll, hand, you'll hold it as in the um, sort of um, handlebar 
mode and you'll either be tilting it left and right to balance something or you might actually be using it to pump up and down to burst a balloon uh, the, the uh, you know there's lots of various ways that it's going to make you play but like i said it's something you really wouldn't want to necessarily play in public it's definitely a beer pretzels few guys around have a good laugh because it, it is that kind of game first negative is you have to unlock the multiplayer which basically means that you're going to get a lot of practice in um, that's not necessarily a bad thing from from one point of view because you're bound to completely annihilate your mates once you've got them around for multiplayer but on the other side of the coin it does seem to me like it's a, a bit of a missed opportunity the multiplayer should have been there at the uh, beginning especially as we as a night as, as the, the console indicates is something that is for more than one person it's you know a, a very much a party group thing um, but other than that the, the graphics are very much in the, the same vein as all the uh, other Wario games. They're very cartoony. They're very crisp on the screen. Um, there's nothing wrong with them. They're purely functional. Um, Xbox 360 owners who tend to go, Oh, it's got brilliant graphics. Uh, oh, I love my games because they've got flash graphics. Won't like this at all from that perspective because they're too up themselves to actually acknowledge that there's a decent game out there. It is very good fun, but it doesn't rely on the graphics. They're just purely functional. It's much more about you know having a laugh doing these tasks it's very fast paced um, and really good fun with multiple people around in terms of actually mini games that are available to you there's somewhere over 200 in the entire game so there's plenty of uh, scope and like I said bear in mind that they're throwing these at you at really rapid rates and you only have three to five seconds to actually complete one of the given tasks it's going to take some doing to go through them all and complete them all um, easily and again when you're up against it and you've probably had a few bevies even more so. So it sounds like it's making the most out of the whole the Wiimote all the options and the various ways that you could use the Wii controllers. Well that's the whole thing with, with uh, Nintendo's philosophy ultimately I think with the Wii is it, it's basically we've got this hardware this is how we've designed it and let's see what we can use to, to, to actually make decent games and work with what we've been given it as such you know if you take things like red steel where you can use the the remote uh, like a katana sword um, you couldn't get away with that with an xbox 360 pad because it doesn't have the motion sense and you couldn't do it with the ps3 either because that's not how the way that their controlled works either um, you certainly couldn't do it in terms of you know moving it vertically horizontally um, with the motion sensor either like the other uh, control pads uh, it just doesn't work that way so it's very much is a case of thinking how to incorporate a particular game around the, you know, the controller to make it interactive to make it innovative and obviously Nintendo are gonna have you know their finger on the pulse big time with this they designed it all they've obviously had the all these ideas on what they can do while they were you know sort of bringing the console up from the you know the ground up so it, it's very much a case of it's a very good very solid title and it does make exceptionally good use of all the controller is it hard work though sounds like a lot of arm swinging it is more than just arm swinging there are poses that you have to um, basically uh, make which I haven't unfortunately or fortunately got to which look like they're going to be a real pain to master and there are t I mean it, it sounds stupid but um, you might actually put the, the, the remote in the palm of your hand as though you're balancing something and then you'll have on screen a broom in the palm of your hand and you have to balance it so there is a lot of innovative ways of dealing with it and yeah you know, 
it is definitely the title that I have to say. If you don't normally wear the wrist strap, you're going to really want to on this one, just because of the, the speed of the game more than anything else. If you if you want a party game um, and you're a little bit bored of Wii Sports by now, just rush out and get this. It is absolutely cracking. I, I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. It is damn good fun. Brought to you by AV Forums and AVPlay.com. Oh my God, is there nothing you people can't do? This is the AV Podcast. Okay, let's say to finish off this week, so we'd have a... Just a quick discussion about uh, first-person shooters, which are possibly one of, or possibly the leading genre of video games that you can get across all consoles at the moment. Um, so we thought we'd just have a quick chat about, you know, possibly what some of the better ones have been in recent times. So Seth, I don't know, um, how big a fan are you of first-person shooters? Oh, well, I, I'm so old and decrepit, I'm afraid I can remember playing Wolfenstein 3D on a 386 based PC back in the day. So... Uh, yeah, I can uh, remember I've been playing these for a long time. That is quite a way ago. I can't say I've been into it for quite so many years. I mean, obviously, if my still in my youth as I am. Um, uh, yeah, possibly didn't get a chance to play as many first-person shooters as I did a long while ago. I was probably more into my sports sims and stuff like that when I was a kid. But um, it certainly is. It's a massive, massive genre right now. I don't know. I mean, where, where can we start? You're talking about Wolfenstein early days. We're going to go sort of doom and that as well from those primitive years that's it i mean after uh, wolfenstein you had the uh, sequel to that which was spear of destiny and then doom came out um and doom was the classic fps at the time um and still is really it certainly set the style didn't it it's kind of like the the benchmark of what first person shooters have to have it was just that it did everything so very well. You know, the, the, the game itself was very balanced. You had a superb amount of weapons. You had local area network play, which was uh, uncommon. It was just very, very well done and scary. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, it's been repeated, for want of a better phrase, to death ever since. But, um, I mean, do you find... It's obviously the, the originality issue is one thing that comes with first-person series, is that a lot of them can be quite generic. But there are still some, you know, fine examples. I mean, one fairly generic area, uh, for example, is war games. I mean, you know, it's especially always seems to be World War Two. Just there seems to be like sheer after sheer after sheer coming through from uh, various World War Two games, you know, such as the Brothers in Arms, Call of Duty, Medal of Honor, all those kind of things. You know, not just World War Two, obviously, but from that whole kind of genre, which. I don't know, they can seem a bit samey to me, but it doesn't stop them from being good games, I don't think. Maybe still lacking just a little bit of originality in there at times. I think I'd probably agree that the originality in a lot of the uh, FPS games these days is, is, is severely lacking, really. I think, sort of, in terms of recent innovative ones, other than Half-Life and Half-Life 2, which really took the story-based concept um, and brought it to the fore, um, the nearest one, in terms of any form of innovation as such, was probably Prey. Uh, I mean, yeah, Prey certainly had some, uh, you know, very, very good ideas, such as the whole portal system. And it was, you know, the fact that you could walk on walls and ceilings and spin the whole thing around was a very, very good take on it, I thought. And then you've also got the whole slow motion thing, which you've kind of seen for a while back from the days of Max Payne, but then games such as Fear is another one that's kind of, you know, keeps trying to add in these little twists and stuff like that into the, into the genre, which kind of... You know, I like to kind of keep it alive, but I'm just starting to get a little bit tired. It just seems to be all about sequels and sequels and so on and so forth. That, you know, these little bursts of originality are always welcome. 
I mean, for me, the, the ones that probably leave me the coldest more than any other uh, game, and again, this is a bit more of a, you know, me being discarded as some kind of heretic or something. I, I'm not a fan of the Battlefield games, um, which was evident in my Battlefield 2142 review, um, and which somebody took me to task on and says I shouldn't have reviewed it, which which is absolute rubbish because it's a game. Um, the problem I have with that particular genre of game in uh, the battlefields is I I do like the option of having a first person storyline based game and then having the, the multiplayer option um, that things like uh, Quake etc did so well yeah. but in that instance it's just really it's a case of multiplayer and that's it um, and for me that's not really a, an evolution of the game format um, it's just ultimately it's really lazy because they don't have to, to to worry too much. The nearest they have to worry about AI is if you're going to play against bots. They, there's no story, no narrative. It's just quite dull for me. Yeah, I know what you mean. It is kind of a tired formula. I mean, I have to say I liked Battlefield Modern Combat. I have to say I was quite a big fan of that. But I do know what you mean. It is kind of a. It can seem sometimes like a bit of a, I don't know, not like luster kind of attempt into it. It just it yeah it can be just quite a bit of a thin cop out. sometimes. Yeah, it's a bit thin. It's a bit of an easy concept. That, like we say, the genre has been done to bits, and it is comparatively easy to throw together a first-person shooter. I'd have thought just simply because you've got so much previous material from which to, to base your game upon, you don't need a lot of huge amount of lateral thought to come up with um, to come up with a half-decent game. But no, I mean it's still obviously the most uh, well, I could say arguably the most popular genre out there. I mean we're not going to have any kind of PC versus console control issue thing going on here. Um, simply because it's been done to death and it's neither the time or the place. But on on both PC and, I mean, I'm just looking at it from an Xbox perspective, it's hugely popular and hugely playable as well. It's something that you could easily just pick up and play. You know, you can just shoot through a couple of levels and something, put it down, it doesn't have to be too immersive. It's just, it's good fun. I've always found it just to be a good fun genre. Yeah, I mean, it really is, in certain cases, the, the absolutely embodiment of a quick 10-minute shoot-em-up. Um, you know, you can load it up, do a level, maybe two, and then just give it a you know a day, and that's it, and just walk away, and that's it. Um, in other cases, certain levels can take forever. Um, and I, on those particular games, I don't know if they lose something in that. I, I don't know. It's it's a tough one. I mean, would you really want to do a whole level in an hour? Uh, depends how big the level was. <laughs> but no, it's not so much that. It's not. This, it, it, do you think you know to yourself? I'll have a quick game of this, and you find that a level's going to take you an hour. Um, well, I don't mind sometimes. I mean, it depends really on the nature of the game. I mean, there are some games. I mean, one of my favourite first-person shooters is the whole Time Splitters, but trilogy as it is. And you know, I love those games. They are good fun games. You could. They are games that you could jump in, play a level in like you know, 10-15 minutes or whatever, something like that. Or, you know, even if you died, you didn't mind because it was usually just good fun at the time and you could go back and just have a good fun playthrough. But then you get, you know, other games, I mean, some of the levels in Halo could be quite long sometimes, not really like, you know, huge kind of hour-long levels. And sometimes if you get into the game, if it's got the narrative that you say that some uh, other games perhaps lack, if you've got something, some reason to kind of attach you to it, then I don't mind so much, but I'd want it to have several save points along the way for sure. Yeah, that's another thing. Certain games, you know, had save points. Other particular games allowed you to save whenever you wanted during the course of a level. I think that in some ways that's 
something that's sorely missing these days. It's not a case of you know um, cheating, although that's what it was ultimately used for and removed for, because you could sort of you know kill a monster and save, and then kill another monster and save, and you would only have you know a small game loss time if you died. Um, but now it's a case of you know you have a checkpoint, you've got to get to that checkpoint before you save, or it automatically saves. And I yeah. don't know if that's again if that's a throwback uh, or not. It wasn't annoying things with me. I mean, saying I love the Time Splitter series, I was playing when I was playing Future Perfect last time. That's quite harsh when it's checkpoints sometimes, and it uh, doesn't allow too many easy save points. So um, there's a couple of levels that can be quite infuriating. But um, you know, in relation to the genre, I mean, it's it is it's a tough one. There is one that can be annoying if you have to go back and play through it several times, mm. um, simply because a lot of them are fairly kind of linear quite straightforward there's only one or two ways that you could do something so if you die you have to go back and you have to play through it again um, uh, and it can become quite quite tedious but as long as the action's there I mean it's all about action really isn't it you just want to get in there and just shoot the hell out of things you want to have grenades you want to have big F guns you just want to have as much munitions as uh, guns bombs and explosions as you can possibly pack into a game I figure that's what first person shooters are for and third person shooters as well I guess to an extent it's a really tough genre on, on one point you know it's just a quick blast but what makes a first-person a first-person shooter decent or not? You know, they all ultimately boil down to lots of monsters, and you can blow them to crap. But you know, if you take a game such as um, Serious Sam, which just chucked monsters at you constantly, is that more or less enjoyable than something such as, um, say, Half-Life, which doesn't necessarily throw that kind of quantity at you? I think, yeah, time and a place for all of them, isn't it? Serious Sam, it's, it's great fun. I mean, it's, it's limited to an extent where if you, you know, seen them writing a review, you could just, just say there's loads and loads of enemies, you just shoot guns and throw loads of bombs and stuff like that, and it's great fun. Whereas Half-Life 2, you'd go off, you'd talk about the story, all the various, you know, the the places that you go, the various missions and stuff like that you have to undertake, whereas Serious Sam is just fingers on the triggers or finger on the mouse, just click, 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 click bang, 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 and it's great fun. Um, but yeah. I'm glad you don't do the sound effects for these games. <laughs> <laughs> you should hear my grenades. <laughs> or not. <laughs> it sounded more like a mouse in pain, sorry. Um, okay, so if you had to, what would you say were your favourite first person shooters then? If you've got a, just one or two? Oh, um, it's always a tough call, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I'm torn between saying Doom or Quake as the daddy. Um, the main reason is Doom really was the one that, that kick-started the genre completely. You know, like I say, Wolfenstein was before it, but Doom was that. On the other side of the coin, Quake was the, the first one that actually had 3D graphics uh, support for the PC, you know, you could, the, in the days of your 3D FX cards and things. So, um, it, it, it basically really upped the graphic style um, considerably from from Doom, so uh, you know I've I've got to sort of tip my hat and say there the dad is. In terms of anything else, oh dear, it's things like Metroid Prime was very good on the GameCube. Yeah. Half Life Two, enough said. Yeah. Um, With you on that one. Un Unreal was very very well done. Um, you know Unreal Unreal Two is the sort of the solo games, and then you've got the Unreal yeah. Tourney. Um, if you just wanted the multiplayer player side of things. I, th I think those are probably the ones that, that spring to mind. And then, of course, you've got things like um, uh, Stalkers coming out ne uh, next well, next couple of months, apparently. Um, we're bound to have another Fear game, 
which was quite interesting. Yeah. And we're bound to have another sequel to Prey. So I think it's fair to say we're not going to be short of first-person shooters during the summer. There's, I don't know, you're looking at about at least 10, 15 big, big titles coming up over the summer, so there's going to be plenty more. But yeah, I'm with you on a list of those favourites, though. I mean, I mentioned Time Splitters as well. I, I figured it deserves to mention just as well because it also kind of it brought multiplayer gaming to me as much as um, many other titles around there. It was one that suddenly uh, made multiplayer a good sit-down fun game where you just go out there, you get a few mates together. It didn't matter who lived, died, survived, whatever. It was just it was a good, good fun. It was a good laugh, great characters. It's got monkeys in it. How can you not like a game with monkeys in it? It's, it, it was just awesome. But um, yeah, maybe things a little bit more serious now. It's, it's all sci-fi shooters now. It's what it all seems to be. But um, but yeah, you've got that. Looking forward to Half-Life uh, 2 episodes 1, 2 and 3 when they come out during the course of the year on the Xbox 360, that is. No PC guys have already had their fill of that. Still, probably my favourite genre, um, and yeah, I think it'll take a lot of a lot of bad games for me to get bored of it. Well, that's uh, a few pointers from us. I'm sure that all of you people out there might have your own favourite first-person shooter games that you might want to talk about. By all means, feel free to go onto the forums, um, put up a list of your favourites, maybe have a chat with a few other people, and maybe just maybe we can come up with some mildly definitive list of the best first-person shooters of all time. It's more than just stuff. I would deem it excellent. This is the AV Podcast. And that's it for this week's gaming podcast. Don't forget you can also download the hardware and movie editions. And we'll be looking forward to seeing you again at the same time next week. The AV Podcast was presented by Ian Collin and Seth Gecko. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.